two, two corrections. Uh, Ted Curry, my mentor, did not have to prod me to go to Harvard. And secondly, he didn't give me the $500. I paid him back at the end of my first year at uh, Harvard. You've heard so much from movie producers and uh, directors and actors and this afternoon that I think that um, my, script in some, my script somehow is a continuation of that. But I want to emphasize two or three things about my own career. One is that, um, as Langston Hughes said, life ain't been no crystal stair. And uh, as I look up at that statement about the American dream, uh, part of my work has been to keep it from being uh, the American nightmare. When I graduated from Fisk University in 1935 and had applied to Harvard University to do graduate work, one of the reasons I did so was that I couldn't go to the graduate school in the state in which I was born and the state in which my father paid taxes, the state of Oklahoma. And so I had to exile myself to Harvard. And uh, before I got there, I had to take a scholastic aptitude test. And so I went over to Vanderbilt to take it. And uh, one doesn't have all the savoir-faire that he might have at the age of 20. And so when the professor at Vanderbilt, who was administering the examination, threw the examination at me as I sat to take it, I can have no doubt that I flunked it. And Harvard University admitted me without any uh, financial aid, and there was no bidding of one college against another, of one university against another, as is the, the custom these days. That's why I had to borrow the money for my father, of course, being a lawyer in a town where all of his clients were black and where 95 or more percent of them were unemployed in 1931, and where we had lost our home, we didn't have any money. So I went on to Harvard, and I worked there, uh, used that $500 to the best advantage, and proceeded to work, taking and typing and washing dishes for my uh, evening meal, and uh, making enough grades so that from that year on, I didn't have any financial worries. Indeed, I was uh, uh, in the lending money business for a while, uh, giving uh, with uh, uh, shaving some income, uh, some some uh, uh, some. Uh, interest so that uh, my uh, colleagues who were not as financially able as I could make it. I found Harvard University not very uh, exciting or not very difficult. And in due course, I uh, completed my work and uh, left to write my dissertation. And I went to North Carolina to do my dissertation on the free Negroes in North Carolina. When I presented myself at the archives, I found that 
when they built the archives, they had made no provision, as the director said to me, that any blacks would ever come, so he had no place for me to do the research. He said, um, but I will, I will see if I can do something for you. He said, come back in a week. And I said nothing, I just looked at him. He said, what about three days then? I said, I'll be back. And three days later, he had arranged a little room out of which he had taken uh, some exhibit material and placed a table and a chair. And there I did my research for my doctoral dissertation. Uh, he gave me a key to these stacks, too, because he said that no white page would want to bring any material to me. And so he uh, gave me a key, and I would go through the search room to the stacks and load up my wagon with all of this wonderful material and roll it back through the search room where the white researchers were using that one folder that they were allowed at a time. And so in two weeks' time, he said to me, I'll have to take your key away from you. I said, I knew something, I had done something wrong. He said, I've had a great protest from the white researchers who said that they are being discriminated against. <laughs> that they don't have the same privilege that you do. And since I give, can't give all of them keys, I have to take yours. And you have to content yourself by being waited upon by the white pages. <laughs> uh, with that uh, experience, I began my research in the South. Uh, I went from there later to uh, the state of Alabama, where I did research. And from there, in the summer of 1945, I did research at the state archives in Louisiana. And the only reason I was able to do research in the state archives in Louisiana was that the day I arrived, the archives had closed to celebrate the end of World War II, the end where victory had been achieved over evil. And uh, all of the Louisiana citizens were celebrating. And the archives were closed. And the archivist, who didn't care uh, about my uh, doing research there, invited me to do research while it was closed and while Louisianans were celebrating the great victory. And so I was able in that way to complete my research on my second book, which was on the militant South. Interestingly enough, when that book was submitted to the Harvard University Press for publication, uh, there was a great furor among the historical profession uh, with respect to the temerity of an African-American to write about white people. Uh, that uh, correspondence is in the Huntington Library, and I will review it as I write my uh, autobiography within a few uh, months or years. Uh, uh, the Crystal Sayers, you see, uh, uh, were not really very good all of the time. But just the same, I was able, with some fortitude and some encouragement from my parents and from my dear wife, who was my college classmate and uh, my helpmate and who had uh, financed on her own uh, the research for me, the period of research that I, in which I did uh, the book From Slavery to Freedom, uh, these people encouraged me and helped me. And um, above all, uh, Theodore Curry, uh, to whom we have already referred, and he lived long enough to see me uh, make some mark in the historical profession, uh, where I had become the uh, 
president of the American Historical Association, the president of the Organization of American Historians, president of the American Historical Association, and president, the national president of Phi Beta Kappa, all of that I achieved before he died in, 1800, in 1979. Now, you made reference to the fact that I have been among the most honored uh, scholars in this country, and I wear that uh, uh, mantle with some humility. Uh, I also want to observe that um, uh, whereas there has been this bright side, there's also been a side which is not reflective of the best in America. When I went to Brooklyn College as the chair of the department, and with such a, which was such a spectacular appointment that my picture and my salary were published on the front page of the New York Times, I was unable to convince 36 real estate dealers in, this town, in the borough of Brooklyn that I should purchase a home near Brooklyn College. Later, when I sought to get a loan from the banks of New York, there was not one bank in the city of New York that would uh, admit, that would uh, grant me a loan to purchase the home that I had found out on my own and not through any real estate dealer. And later still, when my own English godchild uh, moved to Brooklyn and took up residence there in the home of uh, another family, uh, and she told this family about, my, about her godfather, of whom she was very proud, uh, the family told her that if she ever had the nerve to bring her godfather to that house, that she would have to leave at the same time. Things, though, are getting better. We spoke of the optimism this morning of how important it was to be optimistic, and uh, uh, it is imperative to be optimistic. It is also very difficult to be optimistic in the face of the experiences that I've had even in the last few months. Uh, on the night before I received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in September of 1995, I was giving a dinner party at my club in Washington, the Cosmos Club. I thought I looked fairly uh, good. I had on a new suit, and I had uh, on uh, a new tie, and I was coming down the grand staircase, and it is a grand staircase at the Cosmos Club, and my picture hangs on the wall in the Cosmos Club because I was the winner of the Cosmos Club Award in 94, and when I approached the bottom of the stairs, a white woman said to me, you will get my coat for me, and handed me, or sought to hand to me, my, her check. And I said, Madam, if you will speak to one of the uniformed attendants at this club, and all of them are uniformed, perhaps you may be able to get your coat. A few months later, in March of 1996, I was in the lobby of the Waterford Hotel in Oklahoma City, waiting for the manager of one of the leading bookstores of the city, who was going to pick me up from the lobby and take me to lunch and then to an autograph party at his 
a bookstore where I was autographing several of my own books. And while I, while I waited for him, a man walked up to me and said, you get my car, and handed me, my key, handed me his keys. And I said, I'm a guest in this hotel, just as you are. I said, and I walked away from him. Uh, I had begun to wonder if I, reaching the age of 81, uh, still had such a youthful look uh, that uh, I could be mistaken for an employee. And then I remembered that uh, for some, all African Americans, regardless of age, are still boys. Uh, six weeks ago, I was at the, in the St. Moritz Hotel on South, on Park Avenue, on Central Park South, where I was staying, and a woman, I was waiting in the lobby for Tony Drexel Duke, an old friend and one of the descendants of the founders of Duke University, where I am the James B. Duke Professor of History Emeritus. But before Tony arrived, a woman walked up to me and said, look, here, here's some trash for you. I can't find the trash basket, and you just put it in the trash yourself. I said, I'm neither the trash nor the trash basket, madam, and you'll have to find it yourself. What I was suggesting to her was that uh, somehow she had mistaken me for somebody that I was not. Uh, life is still no crystal stair, and although one must continue to be a great and perennial and sometimes blind optimist, one must also recognize the realities of a community that is not at all colorblind. I appeal to you young people, as you go about your many exciting duties in the future, that you try to make this country colorblind. And until it is colorblind, and we are far from it. Would you, be, would you crown your own work with the kind of mercy and understanding and just sense of justice uh, that uh, all Americans are entitled to? Thank you.